0: Walking sports as they report back and forth from their home court. They talk the sports if you're not sure. They talk of sports and then talk more about all sports, east, west, south, north. Ryan Talk sports, Andrew retorts. And In short, here will hear as they both sort through all the sports, they both support the, the Walk-Unds. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Walk Ons podcast. It's Thursday, September 30th, 2021. I'm Ryan Reeves. With me as always is Andrew Schuster, who is waiting on a mattress delivery. So at any time, if he disappears, you will know why. And it's probably better for the show, anyways, if it happens. So we're waiting on that. That'll be exciting. But great show for you guys. We've got last week of the MOB season recap of week three in the NFL, week four in college football, and a look ahead to those the upcoming weeks. And we've also got an awesome interview with former uh former head coach of the Kansas city chiefs, Todd Haley, also a longtime offensive coordinator, Andrew Schuster. Why, I mean, I'm I'm getting some feedback from there. Are you just sitting in an empty
1: room right now? I'm sitting in an empty room, like a psychopath. And you know what? I actually have a reason for it because I have absolutely no furniture. And so, yes, if at the drop of a dime, I mean you just sprint out and flag down a delivery truck. It's been a day folks. It's been a day. Just to
0: confirm you are moving. You haven't been robbed blind, right? That's why you don't have any, any furniture
1: uh reality, yes so anything's possible um, I, I will do uh no comment on the, the the further background of my empty room all right terrific well let's move on to some
0: things that matter look last week of the MLB season this is where it gets exciting uh a race in the NOS D- Giants and Dodgers both over 100 wins both still fighting to not end up in that one game wild card playoff which is absolutely ridiculous the AL wild cards going down to the wire you got four teams within a game of that game uh it's going to be awesome but let's start with Giants Dodgers right these, these two teams both just Keep winning, And as long as that continues, the Giants are going to win the NL West. They're going to have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. The Dodgers are going to get stuck with Adam Wainwright and the Cardinals who haven't lost in like a calendar year, it feels like. Which one of these teams do you, do you say is, is it more important that they, they win out and they get the NL West crown? Like which, who's, who's in bigger trouble against the Cardinals in a one game playoff?
1: Well, I think the team that you want to win the division is San Francisco because say what you want about the Dodgers, they they're the playoff-tested team right now. I feel like they're so equipped to go into any situation, lose and go home. Um, even if they are playing the Cardinals, who like you said haven't they lost last night, but until then hadn't lost since Nam. So it's it's such a I think there's going to be a ton of changes to the the MLB CBA this upcoming season, and I would not be shocked if one of them is a major overhaul of the wild card system because if you're an NL fan, the last thing you want right now is either the the Dodgers or the Cardinals or the giants to be eliminated before the playoffs really technically even begin. I mean, I know Atlanta's entitled to a a divisional series because they're going to win that division, but like, they're clearly the fifth best team in the national league and the way that the Cardinals are playing, they could easily win the national league just because their record isn't quite up there with everyone else's. I know Milwaukee ended up winning the NL central, but it just, it's really set up where we're not getting the best optimized matchups. And like, literally San Francisco and LA are the two best teams in the entire MLB. And one of them might get ousted before the playoffs really begin. It's just, I'd love to see some changes there for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, these conversations come up, you see it in college football, NBA, this sort of reseeding thing where, you know, you've got like, take the NBA, for example, you've got 11 of the best, maybe 15 teams that are in the Western Conference, you know, you get three teams that are going to be left out. There's always those conversations that come up, but I do think baseball for one is, is one that needs changes, right? You mentioned it. I mean, you look at San Francisco and LA, both of them have double digit wins more than St. Louis. And yet one of them is going to be in a one game playoff against Wayne, And the Cardinals, which I hate that game. I certainly hope that San Francisco wins out and it ends up being the Dodgers because that is a very scary one game series. And not only that, I mean, Look, they, they expanded the playoffs, obviously, to eight teams last year due to the shorted, shorted COVID season, which was awesome. I don't think there's eight teams that need to get in in each league, but, you know, call it six. I mean, you're playing 162-game season. And you're going to tell me only five teams make the playoffs, and yet two four of those teams are stuck in one-game playoffs. It makes absolutely no sense. Give me at least a three-game series in the wild card. Make it indicative of what a baseball season is deep rotation. What do you have on the bench? Like pinch hitting. I mean, it just, it's, it's stupid. It's so major league baseball of them to have it the way it is. And it's certainly playing out like that this year where San Francisco Dodgers, one of them is going to get ultimately
1: screwed. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even be opposed to doing it too. Like you mentioned with six teams and setting it up where like, if you're the, if you're the four seed, you're the, the upper echelon wildcard team, you just have to win one game to advance versus say, if you're the Cardinals in the situation, you'd have to win two kind of like how the NBA play in does it. I think that would be a way where you could still kind of give the team who who finished first the wild card an advantage, but give the other team another chance. And on the flip side, you know, we just talked we threw the wild card thing under the bus. It will be really fun to see the Red Sox and the Yankees potentially in a one game wild card. I know Seamus won't like that too much, but uh, you know, I think that would definitely be arguably the most exciting potential game of the season, the biggest rivalry in the sport. Um, and you know, winner goes, winner, winner moves on, loser goes home. And that would definitely be some bragging rights on the line, but you know that that matchup doesn't happen all that often, so I would rather see an overhaul of the system. But I do just want to point out that would be a really fun game if that's how it ends up playing out in the AL.
0: Yeah, certainly. I mean, if you're Rob Manfred, that's that's uh, that's a wet dream right there. Yankees, Boston, one game wild card, just all the marbles, everything on the table. And let's talk about that AL wild card race, right? So you got the Yankees; they're up right now. They're they're in that number one spot for the wild card. Boston's right behind them, a game back. Seattle just a half game behind Boston, and Toronto just a just a game behind Boston. Now, I mean, Toronto is basically the AL version of the Cardinals. They got hot at the right time. They've had a huge, huge month of September. They are surging. Um, I guess between outside of obviously the game that I think everybody wants to see, Yankees-Boston. Do you see Seattle or to- Toronto sneaking in on that last spot? Because right now it feels like Boston. Every time I watch Boston, they just they can't seem to get out of their own way. And yes. Uh, Seamus will say that Joe West ultimately screwed them, which yes, maybe that's true. But also, Aaron Judge, uh, you know, he he did his part to screw them pretty hard too. So, who do you do you see Seattle
1: or Toronto getting in? And if so, which one? Oh, I mean, I would really love to see Toronto just because they have so many young stars that are just primed for a postseason breakout. That's how Vlad Guerrero Jr., you know, Bachet, all these guys that like baseball fans know, but the casual baseball fan may not quite know so well. Give them a platform to play against, but. Yeah, I mean, Boston's still in the best position to advance. But like you said, they've kind of been plummeting. They're the one team that's in this race that started out really strong, seemed to be a lock for the playoffs all year, Then it's kind of coming undone at the seams. So even if they do make the wild card, I don't think anyone's expecting them to really do a whole lot of damage, not really be competitive if they do win the wild card game. So part of me would like to see the Blue Jays just throw some excitement in there. They're an untrusted playoff team. And, you know, the Mariners haven't made the playoffs <laughs> since – you know, that the Cardinals last lost the game. So I would also love to see Seattle just get to be thrown in there, but I know the MLB would cry if it was Toronto, Seattle, and they missed out on both of the premier teams in the American league.
0: Yeah. It's great stories all around. I mean, Seattle, that front office at the trade deadline, you know, they were surging, they were playing well. And of course the front office did everything they could to just sell off all their best players. And they've kind of rallied around each other and that fan base. It's pretty cool to see what they've done hanging around now, a quick look at the schedule, right? Yankees Toronto tonight they're finishing up a three game series that's a huge huge game that's gonna be that's gonna go a long way towards determining what happens here then New York's got three with Tampa Bay which is interesting because Tampa Bay is great but they've already clinched so who knows what you're gonna get from them Boston at Baltimore tonight and three at Washington that kind of lines up nicely Seattle's got three against the Angels and then Toronto of course New York tonight and then three against Baltimore I guess if I'm looking at the schedule the way it stacks up if Baltimore wins tonight they've got excuse me if Toronto wins tonight against the Yankees. They've got three against Baltimore. I mean, that is setting up perfectly, perfectly for those young guns. Vlad Guerrero, you mentioned already. Uh, they got Biggio's kid, Kevin Biggio's there, obviously, uh, Bichette. So that would be a lot of fun to see them in there. But I think at the end of the day, what what really the majority of the fan base wants to see is New York and Boston. But let's kind of put a, let's put a little close on this, Andrew. We had said at the beginning of the season, I think we both picked White Sox-Dodgers as a World mm-hmm. Series. yeah. Both those teams are going to be in the playoffs. We don't know what's going to happen to the Dodgers if they're going to be in that one game playoff or have home field advantage. Is that still your pick? Are you sticking with Chicago LA?
1: I'm I'm going to stick with LA just because I feel like at this point the last decade has shown me you have to pick the Dodgers until they suddenly don't win the NL. Like it's just I don't know. They they've only won one World Series, but it feels like they've been the only relevant team in the National League for the last 6 or 7 years. But I mean, obviously the Giants won 100 plus games for a reason. They're really good. Don't count out Milwaukee. I think they're the one team that we haven't mentioned yet that you, you shouldn't sleep on. St. Louis is obviously in there. I'll still pick the Dodgers, but like I said, it's more of a like default pick than me really feeling passionate about it right now. I think I'm gonna go with the Rays. I mean, the Rays still continue to slide under the radar. And even though they're about to move to Montreal, which is a whole other thing we can talk about, they still seem to be just the most really well put together team that's really well run. They can chip off star players and it doesn't matter, they're still gonna be competitive. And the fact that they're the team that won the American League East, even with the Yankees and Red Sox being really competitive all year, and the the Blue Jays, that tells you something, you know? So, I mean, we could be wrong. They don't really have a great home field advantage. Last year, it didn't matter, but this year it will when there's fans in the building. So that's definitely going to be something that matters, but, you know, I, I would love to see a rematch last year, too, because the Rays really did make it interesting until they took out Blake Snell, so... Um, you know I I, the White Sox could still be in there but I'm I'm not as confident in that pick as I was at the beginning of the year what a bizarre
0: story coming out of Tampa Bay that basically they were going to put up a banner so not only were they going to raise the banner for ALEs champs during the first game of the playoffs they're also going to put up a banner basically touting they're going to play half of their home games in Montreal from here on out now it seems like they've decided not to do that which is probably better judgment but I mean the fact that they're even thinking about that shows what they what you know, what it means about playing in Tampa, right? That team has the best record in the AL. They're absolutely killing it. I mean, they traded for Nelson Cruz, who's been killing it. Wander Franco, Brandon Lau. You got all these big, big, big time players, guys playing great. Nobody's watching them. They have less than 10,000 fans average per game at home. Nobody sees them. Nobody cares in Tampa. And yet they're still... Just absolutely crushing it, and I'm with you. I think Tampa is going to get out of the out of the AL once again, and I'm going to just go ahead and take the Giants because why the hell not? Nobody expected them to be here. Here they are, 104 wins. They just seem to find ways to get the W. And I, I really hope I'm not stepping on my own feet here, but I'm going to call it Rays Giants. Let's get it on. It's going to be great. One great fan base against a terrible fan base. So let's see what happens. Uh, Andrew, let's move into college football. Uh, We got Todd Haley coming up here in a couple minutes, but. Let's look back to Week Three. I think for me, the biggest storyline: Clemson. I mean, Clemson's down Mm -hmm. bad. They got beat by NC State. NC State storming the field. They're now two and two. I'm curious how Dabo is going to be able to handle, you know, a a down year. I mean, this guy has just been used to winning. He's like the Trevor Lawrence of coaches, right? Just the guy just does not seem to lose. And here you are, two and two. You've got yourself, you know, you got to pick yourself up off the mat. Do you see them kind of bouncing back, or is this the beginning of a downward spiral for for the Tigers?
1: Well, I, I don't see them bouncing back this season, but I don't think this is the beginning of a downward spiral because the recruiting is still off the charts. I think this is just that weird year where they're a little bit snake bitten. Not all their players meshed right off the bat as well as we were hoping. And honestly, we kind of picked this, right? We said this is a year of transition for Clemson. And even that first game of the year it was pretty obvious. They had a long ways to go on offense. And I think, you know, it's just a bad year for the ACC. Typically, you, you have Clemson, you can hang your hat on. They're going to be a really strong team in the playoff. And even the team that beat them, you know, I NC State deserves their props for beating them. But they lost to Mississippi State, who's like, what, the sixth best SEC team? So it's, it's weird. We're looking at a situation right now where I think the two best ACC squads are Wake Forest and Boston College. And so that is not going to, unless Wake Forest runs the table and beats everybody by 30 points, the ACC is not going to get a college football playoff team this year. But to kind of go back to your question, Dabble will survive, you know, he'll go eight and four. And well, he'll think that's like going one and 11 for any other program. Clemson will be right back in the thick of things next year. Give give day another year, that offense, a better chance of kind of understanding what their strengths are versus what they were last year. And yeah, Clemson's going to survive. They'll be fine. Yeah,
0: they'll be fine. I can't. I just can't wait for Davo to come out and blame the NIL rules or something for the reason why Clemson's down mm. this year. So I just, just wait for that. If they lose one more, it's going to be all the NIL's fault. Uh, but let's move over to another uh, game that was supposed to be good, was not good. Notre Dame-Wisconsin, I think, pretty much around the board here on this show, we picked Wisconsin. Uh, Graham Mertz is far worse than I thought. I knew he was bad. He's actually terrible. Uh, Jack Cohn for Notre Dame played really well, obviously that game got out of hand at the end with two pick sixes for Notre Dame. Um, but I guess, what do you take away from this game? I mean, is this just Notre Dame beating an inferior team or is Notre Dame for real? Cause they've got a big one coming up with Cincinnati this weekend.
1: Uh, I think it's, it's kind of the opposite of what we predicted last week, which was a blowout, but Wisconsin winning and proving just how bad Notre Dame was. I think Notre Dame blew out Wisconsin, proving just how bad Wisconsin is. And like you're as, you, as a Wisconsin fan, you can probably attest, like, brutal. Right. it was brutal to watch, um, It's tough. you know, And as we mentioned, Notre Dame—they haven't really beaten anybody that we definitively know as a top team in the NCAA. This week they have Cincinnati, which is is something that looks worse and worse by the week. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. And Cincinnati now—it's—it's finally kind of the two forces coming together. Cincinnati finally gets their big college football playoff caliber team that they can prove in the regular season and saying, "Hey, the committee has to take us seriously," even though we're not in a Power Five conference. And the Notre Dame has their chance to say, hey, we're beating a a top five, a top 10 team. And we really should be taken seriously, even though I think the fact that they're Notre Dame gets them like an extra 15 spots in the ranking compared to what they otherwise would be. So yeah. Right. They're, I don't know.
0: They're pretty as a, as those independents there. Absolutely. Well, let's look ahead to a couple of the big, look, this is probably the, the biggest week so far, just in terms of games, especially in the sec, we got two big ones, two top 10 matchups. I mean, I'll give Ole Miss a, a top 10 as they're there at number 12, but let's talk Arkansas, Oregon, or excuse me, Arkansas, Georgia, Hogs v Dogs. It's a prove a game for mm-hmm. the Hogs. Look, Sam Pittman has been incredible in his second year. Uh, some big, big wins for Arkansas already. This none bigger than this one. Look, Pittman was on Georgia's staff the last three years, so he might have a little sauce up his sleeve for Kirby Smart. I mean, for my money, I would love to see Arkansas go in there and make a game of it. Georgia's just so damn good. I just look around that defense, and they have first-round picks everywhere. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how. Arkansas doesn't go in there and lose by three touchdowns.
1: I don't know. I'm rolling with the Hogs, baby. Oh, Last week, I, I I pumped the Hogs up. I said they're gonna go. They're gonna beat A&M. They're A They're a team to keep an eye on. They blasted Texas week two, and I was watching. I was like, they look really good. They look like a real you know, SEC
0: team, which is kind yeah. of insane.
1: <laughs> they, they looked really good, and I feel like Arkansas is that one program we always kind of forget about because they'll have these years where they'll be. I think there was one year it was like Alabama, LSU, and Arkansas were the top three teams. And Arkansas finished third in their own division as a result of that. So they're just kind of like that weird, forgotten SEC team that has some history. And we talked about it last week. There just seems to be some bad juju that was around that team for so long that it's left. Um, I think Georgia clearly is really good. But, you know, we look at their win over Clemson week one. We just talked about it. Maybe not as impressive as we first thought. So Georgia really has not proven to do well in these really big primetime top 10 games. You know, the Southern beaten Alabama with Kirby Smart there. I know Arkansas is a different test than Alabama but Hey, there's no, no I'm going to take the hogs. They're going into Athens. They're going to win hogs versus dogs. I'm rolling with the Razorbacks, baby.
0: I absolutely love it. Look, I, I I agree with you. I love what Arkansas has been doing. Sam Pittman. Again, we already sang his praises. He's done an incredible job. I mean, they're they're basically just a, a product of their own environment or a victim of their own environment. Right. I mean, they're in the sec West with Alabama, LSU, Auburn, Texas A&M, who's obviously down this year, but a great team, Mississippi state who can kind of have flashes. So You know, this is, if there is a chance for Arkansas to maybe just turn the tables here in the SEC, it starts here this weekend in Athens, but I just don't think they have the horses to do it. But let's move over to the other big SEC game, Ole Miss, Alabama, Kiffin v. Saban, Rap Poison versus Little Debbie's. I mean, this is going to be so fun. I, I cannot mm-hmm. wait for this game. It's going to be an absolute shootout. Alabama's defense isn't really what it has been the past few years. I mean, they are vulnerable. Florida proved it last week, even though they still lost the game. Uh, I think Alabama's lost two or three starters on their defensive defense for uh, for the season. So interesting. I mean, and you got Matt Corral, who I mean, this guy is top two or three in the Heisman race. If they go in there into Alabama and they win, Matt Corral is is the the leader in the clubhouse for for the Heisman, and he's been awesome. He's obviously taken this offense for Lane Kiffin to a new level. I just, I cannot wait for this game. I think it's going to be an absolute
1: blast. Yeah, this could end up being one of the games of the year. It's, yeah. it's really interesting because in the past, Ole Miss has a weird thing where they've done really well against Alabama. Yeah. I think they beat them like two years in a row, and this was well before Lane Kiffin was even ranked. Happened to beat them, you know, in some crazy games. Lane Kiffin, obviously, a Saban disciple in some, some fashion. Depends on how much influence he really took from Saban, but still – He can kind of, I know Saban has a great record against his assistants, but Lane Kiffin just feels like he kind of is a different, you know, chip off the old block in that sense. And, you know, they have nothing to lose. They have arguably the best quarterback in the league. And, you know, if they lose, no one's going to be looking at Ole Miss saying the season's over, you know, it's kind of like out of the Avengers, you better shoot for the head. This is their opportunity. Ole Miss could really make a statement and say, Hey, we're the team to beat in the SEC East. Yeah. If you come with the
0: King, you best not miss. I'm just looking at the, the, the last 10 games, Alabama versus Ole Miss, Alabama is nine and one, but Ole Miss did get them there in 2015 in Tuscaloosa. Alabama was number two so hey look out now I mean I think Kiffin he's got himself a little chip on the block would love to take down Saban Mackerel is legit that offense is legit it's going to be high high scoring and I do think this is a huge huge game for for both teams really I mean if Alabama loses at home they probably could still get into the playoff but it just it, it'll be a little bit more of an uphill battle I'm going to just go ahead and take the Rebs because it's going to be fun I like watching them play I like see Lake Kiffin just pacing on the sidelines and, and drawing up some crazy backyard plays so let's get it on dude it's going to be fun in the SEC all right, let's wrap this up, Andrew. We got a we got an interview with Todd Haley on tap. Are there any, any other college football games you got an eye on this weekend?
1: Uh, no. I uh, was gonna pump up the UNC Duke thing, but clearly that's been a oh, disaster, which I okay. will I will talk about later. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, typically Duke UNC gets a lot of eyeballs on it, except it's in a different sport. So.
0: Yeah, wrong. My
1: personal end. No, well,
0: I'm just going to highlight two quick games. Iowa at Maryland tomorrow night. Uh, Tagovailoa to his little brother has been playing really well, Talia. Uh, but I think this is Iowa's chance. They're a top five team. They're on the road. They got a really, real big chance. That defense is legit. This is where they make their mark. I know it's not a huge game, but Maryland is undefeated. So you know a, a W there on the road for the Hawkeyes, and you're really talking about a team that's that's got a chance to win a Big Ten title and get into the playoff. And then secondarily, also in the Big Ten, Ohio State at Rutgers. I want the Buckeyes to be careful here. Look, CJ Stroud's back. We don't know how healthy he is, but they're dead. The, the Buckeyes have not been dominant. And I really can't say enough about what Greg Schiano's done in his second tenure at Rutgers. Obviously he had, he had Rutgers humming along in the mid 2000s, mid to early 2000s. He obviously got laughed out of the NFL with the Buccaneers. Now he's back at Rutgers. They're three and one. They played Michigan tough at the big house last weekend. Look, I don't understand how Rutgers, I mean, they were a laughing stock in college football. Nobody wants to go to East Rutherford, New Jersey and play college football, but here they are, Greg Schiano. I would love to see Rutgers take care of Ohio State at home. That would be a lot of fun, but I guess we'll see. And that's why they say they play the, that's why they play the games, Andrew. But hey, let's move on. We've got Todd Haley on tap. Looking forward to that. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right, our guest today has carved out an amazing career as an NFL head coach across 23 seasons. He's the former offensive coordinator of the Arizona Cardinals, Pittsburgh Steelers, and Cleveland Browns. Also, the former head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. He's now the offensive coordinator for the Riverview Rams in Sarasota, Florida. The four-and-one
2: Riverview Rams, Riverview I should say. It's Todd Haley. Todd, how are you? I'm doing good. Uh, looking forward to talking some football. Thanks for the shout out to Riverview.
0: Absolutely. Hey, well, I'll ask you a little bit about Riverview later, but I want to just get right into it, into the NFL. Obviously we're three weeks in you can call it a small sample size, but I think it is kind of indicative of some things, you know, that we've seen in the first three weeks that might kind of carry on throughout the season. Just curious from your standpoint, who's maybe the biggest either player or team. Who's the biggest surprise? Maybe who's the biggest disappoint- disappointment thus far through three weeks for you?
2: Um, biggest surprises probably Carolina, um, Denver. I mean, not the. To- you know, I thought they both had a chance to be better this year. Um, you know, the Rams, I really felt like had a chance to be really good. I think the Packers are coming into form. Um, you know, the Steelers, obviously a little bit of a disappointment. I thought through the preseason that, that they, they, they had a chance to do some really good things. I mean, uh, they lose TJ Watts, a, a huge loss and, and, you know, still trying to get the offensive line together. So, you uh, know, the Colts a big disappointment right now, although they've been in every game. I mean, it's, it is a small sample size and the key thing, you know, for all these teams, you know, from a coach's viewpoint is you got to keep your head down and keep working because you just got, you know, it's very tough to start zero and three, but you know, if you can make some good things happen, you can, you can turn it in your favor and and get yourself into the mix.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and you mentioned the Steelers right there. That's a perfect segue. We uh, you know, all this talk this offseason about Big Ben. He's in the best shape of his life. They draft Najee Harris. It seems like they're going to fix the run game that plagued him last year. But here they are sitting at one and two with a, cu- a tough stretch coming up. You know, I think they got Denver and Seattle in a couple weeks. So, obviously, with Big Ben, do you think this is kind of the end for him? He's not looking like himself. And, two, how can the Steelers kind of get themselves out of this rut that they've dug?
2: Well, I think he's a—he's an older quarterback at the back end. Um, but, you know, what I saw in the preseason and 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 some of the things he's done moving around, um, you know, he needs a, he needs a little bit more of a support cast than maybe he has in the past, but he's had a good support cast. You know, he's had, he had one of the best offensive lines for, for a good stretch, you know, even while I was there, you know, with Pouncy, DeCastro, Villanueva, you know, uh, you know, he had a good, a good group up front. you know, I don't, I'm not one of the people saying Ben's done, um, you know, but he he'll be done if, if they don't fix things in front of him, because. You know, I, I think Najee's a really good player. Um, you know, they're throwing the ball to him a bunch, but they're still re- they're probably struggling more to run the football than they were last year, and that's all part of what gives the quarterback a chance to succeed. I mean, at this stage in his career, you don't want Ben thrown at 55, 60 times a game. I mean, that just it, it's probably not going to work. It may work some, but it's not going to work in the long term. So they got to fix, fix 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 what's in front of them. Um, you know, they got to get TJ back. They got to play good defense, but you know, I'm not one of the people sitting there saying, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, he's done. You know, he fell down when he was throwing the- No, if he has, if he has some people around him helping him, he can still throw the football, he can still buy some time. Um, and he can throw it accurately. So that's where I'm at with them
0: yeah well on the on the subject of the Steelers Todd yeah I want to take you back a little bit obviously you're kind of the epitome of a football lifer right your son or your dad Dick Haley direct uh, director of player personnel for the Steelers for about 20 years there legend he was obviously a defensive back in the NFL so you kind of grew up around that steel curtain in the 70s I mean a lot of defense kind of in there your dad again a defensive back I'm curious Two questions. One, what's it kind of what's it like just growing up around the game? What kind of, you know, uh I guess advantages did that does that allow you as you kind of grow up into this coach? And two, being around all that defensive talent, what in the world makes you want to go be an offensive coordinator? I mean, is it some sort of stockholm <laughs> syndrome or are you just kind of a, a masochist there?
2: <laughs> it's just it's the way it fell for me. Um, you know, first of all, thank you for the shout out to my dad because You know, I every time I talk to anybody, I talk about, you know, I I think he should be considered for the Hall of Fame on just those teams. He was such a big part of of building and how many of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. But, um, you know, it was just awesome. I mean, to to grow up and 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 go out to Three River Stadium or, uh, you know, for practices, go out to La Trobe and and be a young kid running around, you know, working as a water boy to start, a towel boy probably I started as, and then working my way up to uh, wearing the X on the sidelines all through high school, you know, on the in, in real games, you know, that, that, that part was really awesome. Um, you know, t- the funny thing is I, uh, you know, the last time I was in Three Rivers, I was a senior in high school working the sideline, um, went off, went to college, did all the things that, that I did, worked my way. Into the scouting aspect of the NFL, Parcells gave me a chance coaching, and and with Parcells, you don't ask him, you don't pick your side. He just said, "Here's what you're gonna do," um, you know. So, um, but the the funny thing I was gonna say is the the one place I never coached a in a away game was Pittsburgh through my whole career until I got there. So the first time standing on Heinz Field for the first preseason game was a pretty neat feeling for me. Um, it was just great to to come full circle and and get an opportunity and 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 be a part of that and and of something that my father helped build.
1: Absolutely. Hey, and we talk about how you've been around the game for so long, and obviously you can attest to how the the offensive explosion in the NFL the last couple of years has really been one of the, the main storylines with the league transitioning from a more physical, run-focused league, you know, smash and dash to the passing-centric spread offenses where there's just number explosive numbers unlike we've we've ever seen before. Considering your background as an offensive coach, I'm I'm curious to hear how you would approach modifying your coaching philosophies over the years as offenses continue to innovate. And then where do you foresee the game continuing to change and progress over the next you know decade or so?
2: I think it's it's always, you know, it runs in a cycle. And and I'm not saying it's gonna go back to two back. Uh, football with everybody has a fullback, you know, I don't think that's happening, but the college, the college, really the high school, the college game, the high school game is driven uh, to this spread. That's how players are developed. Uh, So it it, it became much harder over the last 10 years to find a tight end uh, because there weren't a lot of tight end, you know, most, most tight ends in college don't even have a tight end coach. They're working with the receivers and they're working with uh, the offensive line. So, um, you know, fullbacks, all but disappeared, you know, and I've always loved uh, having the ability to have a full back. I love watching San Fran play a little bit, you know, with you check you check, and stuff. So, um, you know, I, I think it's driven by college right now, uh, both offensively and de- defensively, just the athletes we're seeing come out some of the little more undersized, but super athletic linebackers that have to cover the college field as, as spread out as it is with the hashes. Um, but, but I still always think, you know, I just don't think the NFL can, can play like that full time. you know, I think the the best teams are going to have a a variation, going to have an ability to protect both edges with a tight end or a, and or a fullback or a big receiver. Um, You have to be able to run the football. You have to be able to get under center. Um, And, and, you know, and, and like I'm coaching in high school, I mean, you know, it's like the biggest thing in the world to go under center to, clock it you know because you have to be under center to clock it i mean but you know it, it's just everybody's in the gun um but i believe in the nfl you know you better have some downhill hardball runs um in situations because you're going to run into that whether it's weather related late in the season or situational football there's going to be times you you have to pound the ball and you have to get yards even though the other team knows you he knows you need to run the football, you know, again, situations whether it's four minute, whatever it is. I mean, um, I, I just think it'll evolve to a certain point, but then you'll continue to see, you know, the big thing for the last couple of years was the jet motions and all that, but, you know, defensive coaches are smart. They've kind of caught on to that. So it's just, you, you have to evolve. That's the key. Uh, but the bottom line is you better be doing what your players do well and they, and, and play to their strengths. So, um, you know, I, we used to have these meetings where, you know, a general manager, or whoever say, you know, what's, what's the perfect, uh, what kind of tight end do you want? I'm like, well, what kind of tight end do we have? You know, or I, I don't, that's not even, that's not even the, the way it went, but you know, it, it's who are the players we have and how do we have to play to maximize all their abilities? Because as Parcells taught me long, long, long ago, uh, you know, the players aren't changing once the season starts. So the excuses of he's not good enough. You better find find out what they do to, to be the best they can be.
0: Yeah, well, we talked a little bit about the X's and O's there, Todd, right? The importance of running the football, a fullback, having a good tight end. But I kind of want to maybe focus on the quarterback aspect of it, right? I think one of the reasons for this offensive explosion of these last few years, you know, you got the emergence of Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, these young guys who can really sling it. Now, we're looking at some young guys now uh, from Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, even Davis Mills over there in Houston, uh, they're having some growing pains. And I mean, you know, it's, that's to be expected, but you know, you hear a lot of different debate on where, you know, if you, if you draft a guy top 10, he's gotta play, he's gotta be on the field. Where do you come out on that for, you know, for the actual growth of not only the player himself, but also the growth of your team, right? If you have a chance to succeed, you really want to throw a guy out there who's maybe not ready. So where do you come out on that sort of young quarterbacks when they, when's the right time to put them on the field?
2: Well, I still think the best case scenario is allowing them to sit. uh, If not for a full season, most of the season, half the season, the longer they can sit and learn uh, how to be, you know, how to, and even then they're not going to be completely ready, but you know, whether it was Mahomes who, who sat for most of the year, came in the next year, he had success. I mean, very rarely do you see a young guy come in and just take off. I mean, we had Baker, you know, the plan was for him to sit, um circumstances pressure just the, some of the things you're talking about you know once the fan base starts we saw it happening in chicago um you know that's a lot of pressure for whether it's management owners uh and usually co- coaches are the last in line you know because they're trying to stick to the plan but um you know it's a lot of pressure and 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 with how explosive the NFL in general, just how much it's seen watch, you know, with fantasy football, all the things, I mean, it's a lot to withstand. And and sometimes you have a plan and then that plan changes uh, can change pretty quick. But in my opinion, I still think the best thing for a young quarterback, even coming out of college where they're throwing it a lot more, the reads are much more difficult. The players are much faster. Uh, the coverages are much more complicated. The longer they have to, to process and learn a little bit, probably the better for
1: them in the long run absolutely Hey, and we're talking about developing young players now let's talk about really develop developing really young players and that's with your transition to becoming an offensive coordinator in high school you know 20 plus years in the nfl either in the scouting department or coaching what kind of motivated this this uh, transition to coaching high school football down in sarasota
2: uh we just we moved the, this is where we chose to bring our family and uh You know, some of the, some of the people I, some of the guys I got to know pretty quickly here in Siesta Key all were Riverview Rams. They played there, they were coaching there. Uh, The coordinator left last year uh, to go be a head coach and and the head coach uh, Josh Smithers called me and said, Hey, would you want to do this? So I committed myself last year, 100% (laughs) spent a lot of time. We had a good year we went nine and one in the regular season. But this year I, I said, I just, I'm just helping out. So I don't want to get the, I don't want to be the OC uh, or be on here saying I'm the offensive coordinator. I'm just helping out that that allows me to come and go as I need to, but still interject and help out and and help some of the coaches and do all that. It's just, it's for the love of the game. I mean, it's, uh, it's so different uh, from all the years that I spent in the NFL, but uh, it's very, very refreshing. I mean, yeah, I've I've become a player's coach. I've said this a bunch, you know. On the in the NFL, I was one of the non-player coaches, old school. Uh, now I'm watching all these coaches uh, go crazy, and I'm the nice guy. I, I have a hard time yelling at these kids, so I'm just I'm now a player's coach at the high school level.
0: Well, I want to piggyback on that a little bit, Todd, and I know you're kind of just, you, you want to remove yourself a little bit from it, but look, we're, we love high school football here. We love talking about the, you know, the next sort of generation of talent. You guys got a huge game coming up tomorrow night, Riverview hosting Sarasota high, both teams four and one. Look, I'm not going to pretend to know anything particular about this game, but maybe can you give me a quick scouting report? One, is this the biggest uh, rivalry on your schedule? I would assume so just given the name. And then two, you got a little scouting report for us, a little taste of, of what's to come here tomorrow night
2: this for years, uh, again, I'm still learning all this. Um, but this for years was the rivalry Sarasota's, you know, high versus, uh, Riverview. In in the recent years, Sarasota struggled a little bit. Venice, uh, became the powerhouse. So, and, and we had some crossover coaches, I guess, you know, that had worked together or worked there. Um, some players have left each place to go to the other place. So I think Venice, which is coming up a little later in the year is the, is the real big game where we'll see everybody. We'll we'll kind of I'll be able to pay attention to how all these coaches how they handle that. Uh, but this one, just because it hadn't been real competitive lately, uh, it hadn't quite been the same. But apparently, this is the game that you know the stands the 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 stands will be packed uh, on both sides because you know we're only four or five miles apart. Um, last year we played there. This year we're playing here, so it'll be fun.
0: Love a good rivalry, and you beat them twenty-eight to seven at their place last week last year. So Wait, it's gonna be you, bad blood. I would expect
2: you got it. You got it down.
0: <laughs> oh, do we love high school football? Yeah. What can I say? We're nerds over here.
2: <laughs> we got some good. We got some good players. Um, uh, had a real good quarterback that I liked last year that uh, graduated. Now we got a a couple. We got an IMG transfer and, and a young kid that's still developing, but really athletic and talented. We got a big couple, big receivers that can really run. That look like they probably have potential at the next level. Uh, a couple good, really. Our defense is really good. Uh, they're nasty, no fun to practice against every day. Um, so, uh, when you got good defense and you got a couple playmakers, you got a chance.
1: That'll work exactly. Yeah, and hey, we we've talked about the NFL. We've talked about high school ranks now. I want to touch on college, but I want to touch on it on a different sport because doing some research for the show, we actually discovered you were a collegiate golfer of all things, you know? So yeah. my, my question is, you know, how did that come about? And then two, what what kind of motivated you to go back into football after college?
2: Well, all I wanted to do was play football. Um, I, I was a, a quarterback in middle school, had a, had an issue uh, with my back I won't get into, but uh, a defect that they said it was, you know, probably not a good thing to to be smacking my head around a lot um but my dad was had a self-taught golfer could break 80 at oakmont anywhere he played um really good player taught me to swing when i was very young you know three four years old like the tiger woods pictures but um i didn't really have passion for it until uh until they said it wasn't a good idea to play football i i, I started practicing golf i didn't go i don't i didn't go out for the golf team till my junior year but played well and got uh, some interest and in, uh and then got down to Florida. I was definitely not one of the best guys on the team, but I competed in, in a bunch of tournaments and, uh, and then even gave lessons for a couple of years afterwards, sun up to sun down, which I get really credit for helping me become a good football coach because my passion was football. But when you got to stand on a, on a practice team and give lessons to guys that just came off of being at Wall Street all day and, and things like that, you learn how to teach and communicate um, you know, there's such, you know, golf is such a fine tuned sport, much like throwing the football. There are things that uh, the average, a lot of people just don't see, uh, you know, until you've done that and given, you know, like I said, lessons from sunup to sundown for three years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I got one more question for you as we're running out of time, but I do want to ask you Ryder cup this last weekend, huge win for the U S what's your takeaway from that? Did you, did you get a chance to watch some of it?
2: Oh yeah. I was, I was glued to it for the first two days, but then Sunday came. And wow. I, I watch all the football games because I'm doing, you know, serious radio and and everything. So I'm like, the day ended, and I had to go check my phone to see because they didn't have it on and, and where we were sitting to see all the games. So, um, you know, I, I'm like, I hear I was obsessed for two days. I love it. You know, the Ryder Cup is awesome. I mean, uh, I, I love to see those guys, you know, when they're forced to play together. You know, we saw some of the things with uh, Deschambeau and Kepka, but you know, awesome awesome to see those, especially those young guys go out and play well and um, no tougher thing mentally to do than to, them to be on that stage.
0: Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, I want to give you one last question. Like I said, uh, we're looking to tonight's game, Thursday Night Football, which is always a barn burner, Todd. We got, we got Bengals, Jags, of course, some some young talent there. We touched on, on the young quarterbacks here earlier in the show. Trevor Lawrence v. Joe Burrow. I'm just curious from you watching those two, what sort of your biggest takeaways from their development? Obviously, Burrow a year in coming off that ACL injury. Yeah, uh, there's been some struggles with Lawrence, but kind of what do you what do you take away from them as young quarterbacks? What do you see as sort of that the, the future for both of them? And then who do you like in the game tonight?
2: Well, I think they both have a really bright future. Um, they're at, at a little different stage. You know, last year, Burrow went through it. When you're picked number one overall, it's usually, a, you know, not a very good team. Um, you know, he had to suffer through some of that. And I think the Jaguars have probably even struggled and dismantled their team even a little more. So it's made it really difficult. Um, you know, I think a lot of urban Meyer, I think he's, he's figuring it out. It's, it's not easy that transition. Um, but, uh, you know, I think they're both going to be, uh, guys we're talking about for a long time in this league. Um, you know, Jacksonville showed some signs of life, you know, I, I think every game Trevor. Uh, make some throws that, that you say, yeah, yeah, he's he's what we thought he was. But I just, you know, it, it's, it comes down to the same thing we talked about with Pittsburgh. If you don't have the supporting cast, uh, which he doesn't right now completely, you know, it, it's very tough uh, to play quarterback in this league. Uh, you know, I think the Bengals came a long way in a year. Um, you know, they're running the football. They're not make, asking him to throw it 50 times a year. I think Chase has been a big difference maker. Mixon is really good. And I think, you know, they, they changed, they brought back their old offensive line coach. They uh, made a couple, you know, they I think everybody was excited to have him back and it shows. And, uh, you know, I just think they have to continue playing that way. Um, you know, Burrow, even though he's back, uh, you I, I would guess he's still, you know, that's still a process to get all the way back a hundred percent. So they just need to protect him and, and make sure they're not asking him to do too much.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Todd Haley, we really appreciate the time. That was an easy 20 minutes. It's looking a little humid there in Sarasota, Florida. So we appreciate you sticking through it. No, you're outside. You're doing (laughs) your thing. You're a gamer. We really appreciate the time, Todd. And good luck against Sarasota tomorrow night. All right. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you, sir. All right. Our thanks to Todd Haley. That was an awesome interview. My man, he's got... Five kids, five dogs, a couple of birds at his house. So he's out there in Sarasota, Florida, just sweating it up outside, being an absolute gamer. So can't say enough about that guy. That's, I mean, that's head coach. That's football guy written all over.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm really bummed we didn't get. I didn't get to ask about if he, how he thought about Bishop Sycamore as a high school football. Company.
0: Oh, yeah. God. well, I guess we'll have to have him on again, and we'll, we'll get that because I'm sure there's exactly. more exactly. Yeah. The, qu- the question struck
1: me about. <laughs> It struck me about two minutes after the call, I went, damn, he would have been a good person to talk to it about. Oh, but that
0: well is not dry. Yeah, Maybe maybe uh, Riverview's got, got uh, Bishop Sycamore coming up on their schedule here. We'll, we'll see about that. That's going to be an easy W. But, Andrew, let's move on to the big boys, the professionals, the guys who do it for money. Uh, week three, let's wrap it up. I mean, you've got some surprise 3-0 and teams, Carolina, Arizona, Vegas, and Denver, all 3-0. I mean, are any of these teams – okay, let's remove Denver because I already know what you're going to say. Carolina, Arizona, Vegas, are any of these teams legitimate contenders or is it just, you know, product of the schedule and a nice little start for these guys?
1: Well, let me just say my answer to Denver, because it's probably not what you're thinking. And it's, do I think they are they a playoff team? Yes. Are they a contender? No. So, yeah. you know, I think that's fair. That's you objective. know, the problem is, is all three of those teams, You there's, 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 uh, you know, chinks in the armor you can point to. Uh, similar to Denver, you know, they've they played no one who's won. Carolina's played Houston and the Jets. And yes, they beat the Saints. And that's like kind of the one reason I don't want to pair them with Denver because that is a quality opponent. But at the same time, it's not like they blew the Houston Texans out of the water last week, or even the Jets. They only beat the Jets by five points. Um, But their defense looks really good. They are starting to get some injuries though. So that's something to be concerned about. Plus, you know, three weeks is is not quite something you can just say definitively that Sam Darnold is the answer quarterback. Um, The Cardinals getting by by the skin of their teeth almost every single week, it seems like. You know, they're, they're a 37 yard field goal away from being two and one. Plus the Jaguars really hung tight with them last week. So that's, you know, I think the Cardinals are going to be like that every week. They're going to be in every single game. They're going to have a chance to win every single game. And some, at some point it's going to come back to bite them. And then the Raiders again, two overtime wins. It took them 70 minutes to beat the dolphins with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. I think there's a little bit of skill there. I think they're also a playoff team, but I think there's also some luck on their side. And, you know, it's one of those we talked about it last week, the chiefs, they're one and two, and I still think they're the favorite to win the AFC West. So it's a good story, especially as a Broncos fan, but I think, especially with those other three teams, I don't know that you're looking at any of them as actual contenders. The one 3-0 and team I'm liking is the Rams as an actual legit Super Bowl contender.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And we'll, we'll get to the Rams in a second, but you me, you mentioned the chiefs, right? I mean, we're looking at, we've got these, th- these four teams that are kind of interesting three, and and you mentioned it all right. Vegas. I mean, two overtime wins. They barely got by a Jacoby reset led dolphins team. Denver's opponents are combined. Oh, and nine Arizona got that gift from Minnesota. You know, Carolina's defense has been great, but you know, a win over New York jets and Davis mills, Houston team doesn't really, uh, write home, but in terms of teams that are struggling that maybe we thought wouldn't you got the chiefs Steelers Seahawks all one and two. Now, you mentioned the chiefs. I don't think the chiefs are done. They're going to be fine. They'll probably end up 15 and two or 14 and three or something like that. But Steelers and Seahawks are in real trouble. The Steelers mm-hmm. look awful. Uh, they lost obviously TJ Watt. That defense is still tough, but big Ben in the offense looks awful. I mean, any, I just can't get that image out of my head of big Ben rolling, it, uh, rolling out right and trying to toss it and falling flat on his face. I mean like a dude who's never even run before. And it's like somebody who tries to sit out a PE, like the little fat kid. Uh, it, it doesn't look good for them. Also Seattle, worst defense in the league, 32nd overall. They're getting run all over. I mean, you want to let Russ cook, great. But if the defense can't cook, you put anything on the table and there's nothing for Russ to cook. So who do you think's in bigger trouble, Seahawks
1: or Steelers? I think it's the Steelers. Uh, and it's kind of what I was pointing out with, with Coach Haley. It's They have a tough slate coming up. You know, they're one probably flat Buffalo performance away from being 0-3 right now. TJ Watt's out. Um, and then next week, or this week, they have Green Bay, they have Denver, and then Seattle. And honestly, I don't know if they're favored to win any of those games. And if you're looking at a Steelers team that's one and five or two and four this early in the season, you're probably looking at, hey, do we need to make a quarterback change? And, you know, he pointed out the flaws in their offensive line. I think this just has the feeling of a year where the Steelers are kind of like in in a mode of transition. They have some good pieces, some good players, especially on defense. But without a competent quarterback, you really can't do as much as you would think the Steelers can typically do. And on the vice versa with the Seahawks, I think it's only their quarterback. That has kept them competitive so far, you know, if they didn't have Russell Wilson, we're probably looking at this team as clearly one of the lower teams in the NFC and you know some of his claims over the offseason of the Seahawks are kind of a weaker team that don't really give him as much say I think we're going to hear a lot more about this offseason if, if this continues as, as it has looked so far.
0: Yeah, I mean Russ has had the benefit of having some great defenses in the, in his years, right? The Legion of Boom, uh, who can forget that? But I mean, this year is is a year where Russ is going to have to cook, cook, cook uh, if they want to even sniff the playoffs because that defense is awful. And I mean, you mentioned it. Seahawks Steelers play on October seventeenth. Leading up to that, Seahawks are at the Niners this weekend, and then they host the Rams. I mean, that could very well be a game of two of two one and four teams. And I mean, you're basically looking at the loser of that is they're done for the year and starting to look at some some other options. So that's interesting. But look, you also mentioned the Rams. They are probably the most impressive 3-0 team. I wasn't a huge believer. I think they were going to be good, but I didn't know if the Matt Stafford experiment was going to be mind-blowing. But to this point, it has been. I mean, they waxed Tom Brady and the Bucks at home. They look like a dominant team. They were better at every facet of the game. I mean, is this... Are we looking at the best team in the NFL
1: right now in LA? I, I think we have to, yeah. I mean, I still don't know that I would pick them in a playoff game over Tampa Bay, especially depending yeah. on where the location is. But... They, it wasn't like a game last week where they got some things to go right. It was a dominant performance. And, you know, Matt Stafford looks to be exactly what Sean McVay was expecting when he actually got a competent quarterback play. Cooper Cup might be the best wide receiver in the league right now, which Cooper is nuts because they're both on my fantasy team. going to take me to a championship by themselves. But the, the one thing, and we've talked about it all year each week, is how the NFC West is just so strong that they might self-cannibalize a little bit. You know, this week they had the Cardinals And I think we're going to see for real, are the Cardinals up to play with the Rams, even though they both have the same record? And I I think there's there's probably going to be two games that they lose just in their division, because division opponents always play up to one another. So on that alone, they could get some kinks in their armor. But I still think, considering how the NFC's played out, maybe Green Bay's kind of back on pace, but they really seem to be by far the best team in the NFC to this point.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Arizona and the Rams. I mean, there's some big, big games on tap for week four. You've got Carolina at Dallas. Dallas looked incredible against Philly on Monday night. I don't know if they're any good or not, but they certainly crushed Philly. They look like the best team in the NFC East, which is basically saying, like, uh, you're the best – you know, walnut cookie in the bag, in the bag. None of them are good, but it's the best one, the softest one. Uh, you got Arizona at the Rams, of course, as you mentioned, Baltimore at Denver, Vegas at L- at the chargers. So we're going to see a lot about some of these teams, these surprise three and teams and see what they're really made of. But obviously week four, the biggest game of the season, possibly people are calling it the most anticipated regular season game in NFL history, Brady and Gronk return to Foxborough bucks, Patriots. What's your take on this game, Andrew?
1: I mean, we talked about it being the most anticipated game, but is it going to be a good game? I mean, and I say that like, like like seriously, like I will watch this game. It was one of the few games I will probably tune in, start to finish on Sunday night football because the the drama, the story at hand is so great. I mean, this is probably the, you know, definitively the one time we know Belichick will get to play Brady, especially in Foxborough. I mean, the storyline is just all there. I'm so bummed it's a week four matchup, honestly, but, You know, the Patriots haven't really looked that good. No offense, Seamus, but, you know, they lost the Dolphins and the Saints really had their way with them last week. And I I really, I think Belichick is going to keep it interesting and he'll have some good defensive plans for Brady, especially because he coached him for so long. But if you did, if you took out all the story elements of Belichick versus Brady and it's like the two teams on paper, I think you'd be saying the Buccaneers are going to win this game by, you know, at least 10 points. Um, But like I said, I'll be watching the game. So I hope it's a good one. I hope it's fun. And yeah, let's just see how some history plays out.
0: Yeah, look, Mac Jones, like a lot of the rookies this year, has, has had some growing pains, but I do think that defense is legit. I mean, certainly Bill Belichick, whether he says it or not, is going to have you know, a little special motivation this week, trying to beat Brady, but I don't think there's anything that can replace the kind of motivation that, that Brady puts in himself. I mean, that's why the guy's playing into his mid forties. Uh, I think it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be close just because of all sort of the the thing, the hoopla surrounding this. I just think it's going to be one of those kind of drag him out, but I do think Brady has more stock in this game than maybe Belichick does just because he wants to prove be- he's the one who, you know, there was that, uh, there was a report this year, this week that, Brady wasn't exactly run out of town. He left. He was offered a two year contract to stay in new England. He said, nah, no, thanks. I'm going to Tampa. So I, I, this is, this is a game that he's probably circled on his calendar since the, since the schedule came out, Belichick would probably tell you he he couldn't care less, but I think this is a huge game for Brady. I think the bucks get it done, but I do think it's going to be a great game and you bet your ass. I'll be watching. All right, Andrew, let's move to the dudes and duds of the week. Who you got? Who's your
1: dude? All right. Well, my dude of the week, let's see, who did I put down here? Well, I mean, I think you have to give Justin Tucker a shout out just for that insane kick against the lions, you know, 66 yards. If there's one guy in the league, you knew that could do it. It's him. And, you know, there was some huge irony there. I'm pretty sure the, the previous record before it was Prater was against the lions. And I think there's also a time where Justin Tucker had another game winning field goal of 60 plus yards at Ford field. So the lions just like, they can't catch a break. They're just so hopelessly numb to the pain of losing close contested games. And, you know, they had, they had they had a rightful bone to pick this week. There was a clear delay of game that wasn't called. They have the the fourth and 19 that just, in what world is an NFL team giving that up? It's just, it's like laughable. There's, there's clearly a curse on the, the fighting Dan Campbell's. They can bite as many kneecaps as they want, but there is something hanging over Ford Field that will prevent them from ever being successful. Calvin Johnson knows it. Barry Sanders knows it. And now Dan Campbell's finding out the hard way. So
0: too. I, I feel terrible for the Detroit lions fans. Yeah. You mentioned, I was going to say that, that clear delay of game where it was on zero for one to two seconds and nobody said anything, nobody's talking about it. Just, I mean, it's basically just like the universe saying you live in Detroit, you're not going to be happy as it is day to day. And now you're not going to be happy with your sports teams either. I'm really sorry, but look, I'm moving to a different city because my dude is super bowl 56 at SoFi stadium in Inglewood. Check out this lineup, Snoop, Dre, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, and Mary J. Blige. And all I got to say is it's about damn time. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know about you guys. I mean, obviously, there have been some big names in a list of Super Bowl halftime shows. Obviously, Shakira, Jennifer Lopez, Maroon 5, Justin Timberlake. I couldn't care less about any of them. That's that's my time where I can get up, get some chips, maybe go to the bathroom for the first time. I'm not watching that halftime show, but you best believe I'll be watching this, this year. It's going to be absolutely electric. It's going to be awesome. I think basically Snoop Dogg said, hey – I'm just, I want to do this and I'm going to bring everybody with me. And hey, Snoop always delivers.
1: snoop a Oh yeah. That's got to be the first halftime show. Like you said, in years, you don't just cringe at the sight of who's doing it. Like you already know exactly like what's going to happen. You knew Maroon 5 was going to be terrible. Shakira and JLo, that was a good one. I mean, that was a good Super Bowl, but it was like two weeks before COVID started. So I think it kind of will uh, forever be linked with that really tough time in, in everyone's lives. But yeah, this one, it's a no brainer. Um, the, the one good thing to come out of Detroit when it comes to football, we're going to get some M M&M in the halftime show. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. He's definitely going to do some weird shit that it's going to have everyone talking the next day. Um, yeah, I'm excited for it. And, and we're going to, it's going to be in LA. It's going to be a fun time.
0: Yeah. Speaking of tough times, that the halftime show is always a tough time, but this time it's actually going to be fun. So, all right. Who's your dud, Andrew?
1: Oh boy. It is the UNC football team. <laughs> My God, are they bad? Like I, so but like, yes, how? every, year, but every year, every year, there's a top 10 team that disappoints and like, yes, they, they fall into that, but they have not just disappointed. They look like they might arguably be the worst team in the ACC. It's, it's that bad. They roll into Georgia tech this week. They're 14 plus point, you know, favorites. They lose by 23 points to a Georgia tech team that I think most people consider to be the worst team in the ACC going into this season And what's really weird is they're struggling in all the ways in which they shouldn't be. Their offense looks terrible. They had the entire starting offensive line come back and they look like they couldn't stop, you know, still air. It's, it's ridiculous. And the defense looks like they have no clue of of what concept they should ever be playing in. Like it it said all the time. And it sounds like a broken record. Oh, UNT has got so much talent and they do, but it looks like the coaches have absolutely zero clue how to utilize it. And teams are just now figuring that out and they're making them pay the, it, they look awful. It's 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 like they have to be by far the biggest disappointment in college football this year, and they need to be called out for it. Because it, Mac Brown, we love you. You're building the program up, but the performance the last three weeks has just been unacceptable. And I know there's absolutely zero history of like success at University of North Carolina for there to be big expectations. So that's how bad it is. If I'm sitting here with no expectations, bitching and moaning about how bad the football team is, basketball season cannot get here fast enough.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be a tough season in Chapel Hill. I mean, Mac Brown, he's got the name notoriety. I mean, the guy, the guy has done it all in the college football landscape, but it might be time for it. send old Mac out to pasture. That's just my opinion. But my dude, Devin Williams, one of the best relievers in the game, Milwaukee Brewers. Obviously, the Brewers clinched the central earlier this week. As Devin tells it, he got a quote unquote a little drunk and decided to punch a wall. Well, guess what? He lost to the wall, as most people do. He broke his. And he's an idiot sandwich look we've all gotten a little drunk we've done some things maybe we shouldn't have done. But when you are on the when you have clinched the central and you're on the cusp of the playoffs and you're one of the most important pieces in that bullpen to a team that's got a chance to contend for a World Series. You, you better just wrap yourself in bubble wrap don't be punching walls don't be punching anything keep your hands in your pockets and just let somebody feed you the alcohol, Devin. That's, I mean, one of the stupidest things I've heard. I mean, I feel like every single year there's a major league baseball story where somebody does something stupid. This might be the first time where it's somebody stupid leading into the playoffs where your team is basically leaning on you. So Devin Williams, be better. Hope you're back healthy, but we all know you're probably not gonna be. All right, that's gonna do us. For Thursday, September 30th, 2021, I'm Ryan Rees. With me always is Andrew Schuster. Our special thanks to Todd Haley, who was an awesome guest. I hope he found some air conditioning inside there in Sarasota. Everybody enjoy the game. Bengals, Jags on tap. We're out. The walk-ons.